You are listening to episode 78 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Aaron Patterson. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. I really appreciate you tuning in today uh, on the podcast. Uh, we put out episodes every week to help you improve your tennis game and reach the next level. And today, I want to focus the podcast on strength and conditioning for junior athletes. And that's why I brought on Aaron Patterson on the show today to talk about strength and conditioning and also fitness for our junior athletes. And obviously, many of the principles we talk about today also apply to adults as well. But uh, for the most part, we are speaking specifically about junior athletes uh, during the podcast. And I'll be asking him a lot of questions about, uh, first about his career, uh, how he became a coach and a great trainer, and then also exercises that junior athletes can do and uh, principles for recovery and some other questions that I think will really help out junior athletes in particular, uh, improve their fitness and many others who aren't juniors as well. So uh, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, here is my interview with Aaron Patterson. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited to have Coach Aaron Patterson on the show today to talk about strength and conditioning and fitness for junior athletes. I met Aaron at the World Tennis Fitness uh, Conference in Atlanta this past year, and he is a really great guy and uh, really happy to have him on the podcast. A little bit of background about Aaron is he is a uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. He's also a certified tennis performance specialist by the International Tennis Performance Association, which hosted the conference that I just mentioned. And Aaron is also a certified speed and agility coach. And Aaron trains as a, a multitude of top-level junior athletes and adults as well in uh, sports such as tennis, golf, and volleyball. Aaron is currently a sports performance coach at the Pitt Strength and Conditioning Center and a personal trainer at the Four Seasons Health Club. Uh, both of those are in Bloomington, Illinois. And like I said, just really happy to have you on, Aaron, to talk about uh, strength conditioning and fitness and all, all those good things. So I appreciate you coming on to the show. No, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm definitely humbled and uh honored that you you asked me to be a part of your show and i uh, hope i do a pretty good job of explaining what i do and answering your questions about uh, training junior athletes oh for sure i'm sure you will aaron and um you know I, i've been following you on social media and i really enjoy your your posts uh, specifically on instagram and so i see on your instagram page pretty frequently that you have your athletes uh, slingshot what's what looks like bands into some sort of container and it looks like it's become a competition involving push-ups I've seen you do push-ups and they do push-ups so uh, how did you end up coming up with that uh, pretty cool idea that, that's an interesting competition that's uh, kind of taken off out of nowhere I actually just got done doing some uh, push-ups from my session this morning so those bands are your uh, 
typical mini bands. Um, we get ours from uh, Perform Better, but you can you can get those pretty much anywhere. And uh, what I have them do is they'll go through a little mini band circuit as part of their warm up, and then they'll try to flip their mini band into uh, kind of the containers that we we keep them in. I measured measured it out this morning, and it is actually about 12 feet uh, that they have to flip those bands to try to make them in the basket. So that's uh, that's just kind of a fun competition that started um, actually this past February uh, 2018. And uh, it, w- it was started by one of my athletes, actually a junior high softball player that had been training for a couple of years. And one day she, I don't know, she's pretty competitive and she wanted to place a little wager that uh, if she could flip her mini band into the basket that I would have to do push-ups. And uh, just kind of taken off from there, if they bank the shot in or get it to hang on the edge of the basket, then I'll have to do 25 push-ups. If they hit a clean shot in and kind of swish it into the basket, then I'll have to do 50. So to date, I I think I am over 7,000 push-ups just from that little competition. So like you said, I have a leaderboard going uh, to kind of keep track of the number of points that they've gained um, from the contest. And yeah, it's just uh, kind of a fun way to keep keep the mood light, keep it fun. Um, they get into it. They're trying to chase the person in front of them on the leaderboard. And uh, yeah, just kind of a fun competition that we've, we've had going. So what you're telling me, Aaron, is you're outsourcing your fitness routines to these kids as far as your push-ups, right? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I do tell them that they're, they're a part of holding me accountable for my own fitness. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think some days I get lucky and don't have to do any push-ups. Um, I think the most that I've done in one day, I made the mistake and uh, saved all the push-ups for, for at the end of my day, and I had to do 175. So that was a, that was a pretty brutal night for me. Dang, I think you need to lengthen the distance of the uh, the band <laughs> shots there, uh, but might consider that. But that, that that's great, uh, right. great to hear. And and you know, regarding you know this type of activity, I mean, how helpful do you think inserting fun competitions like the band uh, slingshots uh, like that is to the development of uh, young athletes? I think they get excited about the mini band uh, push-up competition. I think a lot of days I, I might be ready to just move on into their warm-up and they're lining up on the edge of the turf, getting ready to shoot. They they kind of uh, get ready and look back, make sure that I have my phone out ready to record them so that they can get the evidence there too. But I, I think keeping training fun is very important, especially for younger athletes. For some athletes, it's all based on their personality and uh, that's really how you have to approach it. Some athletes are all business and want to get their training done and I, get in and get out. But I think for the majority of the athletes, they want it to be fun. They realize that training is helping them improve their game and helping them get stronger, but they don't want someone yelling yelling at them for an hour. Yeah, most of the time when they come in, they've either just spent the entire day at school or uh, have been at practice or running drills for a couple of hours. I want them to have fun and enjoy their time training with me. I think if they enjoy it, they'll be more likely to stick with it and be able to progress over time. In the end, I want them to become better people and better athletes. So I think that's part of it, just uh, trying to be a positive mentor for them with so many other pressures that they have going on. Yeah, I really love that outlook. Very, very important concept concepts right there. And so Aaron, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that is probably going to be the toughest question that you answer today. And we (laughs) we could scale back on the number here if if you need to. But what are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Aaron Patterson? I I was thinking thinking about this question uh, earlier. And just because it came up that a lot of since I train younger athletes, um, a lot of them are shocked at the number of 
movies that I haven't seen that they, they think I should have seen. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I, I haven't seen any, any of the Harry Potter movies. Um, I've been called out for that. Um, I think there are some, uh, some of the superhero movies, uh, I think it was a couple of summers ago um, that uh, I was given a pretty hard time about from uh, mostly my junior high athletes. So I would say I, I love movies, but uh, that's one of the things that um, I get, I, I'll, I'll say, harassed about from my younger athletes most is that I don't keep up on the movies that they, they do quite enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my world, so, Aaron. Yeah. I, I always get made fun <laughs> of with that. People always make these references and I have no idea, no clue what they're talking about. I only watched Harry Potter because my girlfriend actually forced me to watch them all before we went to uh, <laughs> Harry Potter land or whatever you call that. Uh, down in Florida. I, I've, I've heard it's a fun place, but uh, yeah, I I might might have to make a visit down there, but I guess I'll have to catch up on my Harry Potter before I go. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But you know why this is talking to your athletes, why Aaron doesn't know about these references? It's because he's busy training and learning. That's why. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Good stuff. All right. Well, if you, yeah, if there's nothing else for that one, let's let's move on to uh, the the questions here. So, as far as um, your career, let's go back to the beginning, Aaron. So, when did you first start getting interested in fitness training? I think that I've always been interested in some type of training. As far as fitness training, um, I've always loved sports and I've always enjoyed exercise. That's from when I was really young and playing sports up until now. I remember being in junior high and uh, watching actually, actually watching fitness shows on TV and trying to get a hold of fitness magazines just because it was something that, that was fascinating to me. Um, There's always something about that that intrigued me. So growing up playing sports, I realized how important it was to be athletic. Uh, so it's always been something that I've enjoyed learning about and doing. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And then as far as personal training, how did you actually get your start in the world of personal training? Uh, with that, I actually have to give a lot of credit to, uh, well, it, it was something that I, I was becoming interested in, but I have to give a lot of credit to the uh, personal training program at Parkland College in Champaign. Um, that's just down the road, down, down the interstate from where I am now. Like I mentioned, I've always been fascinated with exercise and kind of self-improvement, and I've always taken pride in wanting to help other people improve their lives as well. So when I realized I could combine those two, it just made sense to turn it into a career. I think Chris Warren, who is the program director at Parkland College and the personal training program there really did a great job of setting me up for success. That is where I actually started training athletes, working with the men's basketball team and the men's golf team there at the collegiate level. Um, after that, I began training a high school volleyball team uh, back in my hometown and eventually made my way uh, back here to Bloomington where I've been training athletes and personal training clients for the last four years here in Bloomington. That's awesome. And, and you mentioned, Aaron, that you're really big into self-improvement, which is fantastic. I, I am as well. But uh, what books did you read that helped you develop either um, your, you know, yourself and, and your uh, character or your personal trainer skills the most? I think, uh, first of all, start this by saying that I love to read. I love to read books. Um, but as, as you probably know, with, uh, with, with a busy schedule, it's kind of hard to carve out time for that. When I mean, I, I try to 
help as many people as I can uh, through my job, through my work. So I would say the majority of the books I've read to help develop my training skills on the technical and uh, physiology side have been the anatomy and physiology books from classes, biomechanics, human movement, um, all the books that helped me when I was taking classes. So recently you, you mentioned my certifications. I've been studying for my CSCS certification. So that has kind of helped as a refresher on that side of it. Outside of that, I know it sounds like a kind of a poor reason, but but keeping a busy schedule, I, I tend to multitask. So with that, as far as self-improvement and learning from others, um, I've leaned toward listening to podcasts of coaches that I trust and want to learn from and uh, attend as many continuing education conferences uh, as possible just to kind of network. And I really like to learn from other people. Awesome. Awesome. That's great stuff, Aaron. And so you mentioned the CSCS. Could you just uh, kind of describe exactly uh, what that is and, and how the studying has been going for that one? Sure. The uh, for for those of whom, for those of uh, the listeners that might not know, the CSCS is the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist Certification uh, that is through the NSCA. But uh, really, it's more of a certification to kind of define that uh, strength and conditioning or sports performance role. I know that it's kind of. Uh, for people trying to obtain sports performance certifications, it, it's kind of that one that everyone looks at. I know now with the NCAA, it's required to have your CSCS certification in order to be employed by um, an NCAA institution. So that that's kind of the level that we're, we're going at there with that. So it's just one of those that um, has always been on my radar to kind of solidify that strength and conditioning aspect. I've been studying off and on uh, for a few for a few years, kind of let my work schedule get in the way of that, but uh, I'm determined to uh, finally crack down on that and get that one taken care of. Yeah, I'm sure you will, Aaron. And so, could you make uh, or kind of distinguish in at least a couple of ways, like what the like difference is between, let's say, being certified as a personal trainer from the NSCA versus the the CSCS certification? I would say the certified personal trainer certification that I have through the NSCA um, that was kind of the starting point. It covers more, uh, it covers a lot of athletic training, but um, it also covers general population. So that's the one that really helped me on the personal training side in deal dealing with older clients that might have, you know, certain uh, disease states or conditions um, that I might encounter. So it kind of laid the groundwork and then led to my speed and agility certification and definitely my um, my uh, tennis performance specialist certification. Uh, the CSCS focuses more on uh, sports performance and athletic performance. Gotcha, Aaron. And do you need uh, much of a science background before getting either the certified personal trainer uh, certification or the CSCS? I I think that it's very important to have that background. Um, obviously, when you are going through studying for those certifications, I mean, there is a ton of anatomy and, a phys and physiology and biomechanics studying that goes into that. Um, but the more background that you can have, uh, the better for that. So, um, and, and the better you're going to, uh, do at your job. So, um, I really pride myself in finding all kinds of different sources, as many different sources as I can to continue learning so that, uh, that this career, this field is always changing. And uh, so I think that you can never learn enough about it. Awesome stuff, Aaron. And then we did give a shout out to the ITPA, Dr. Mark Kovacs and Mary Jo, you do a, a great job. And I met so many awesome people uh, like yourself through that organization. Uh, but regarding that 
uh, the certification from the ITPA, uh, how has that kind of helped you use your your knowledge of uh, fitness and personal training uh, and apply that to the tennis niche? It's definitely helped help me learn more about tennis specific performance. Um, I think there are a lot of differences in training different sports, but definitely the ITPA does a tremendous job in helping prepare trainers and coaches uh, to train specifically for the tennis uh, tennis athletes and tennis performance. So I've learned a great deal from the ITPA uh, through studying and obtaining my CTPS. Uh, like you mentioned at the World Tennis Fitness Conference, I've looked even more into Dr. Mark Kovacs and the, the research that he has done for sports performance and specifically for tennis. There are a number of different people that I that I met at that conference that I tried to keep in touch with um, and try to learn as, as much as possible. I know that I'm still following um, as much attention as I can to to what people like Dean Hollingworth are doing. I uh, appreciate learning and listening to whenever I get the chance. Dr. Neo uh, Jayanti, I think he's a brilliant mind and knows a, has a ton of knowledge about uh, tennis performance and more on the medical side and physical therapy side. I had the opportunity to meet uh, Todd Kensler, who is a strength and conditioning coach at TCU, Texas Christian University. I met him at the conference and um, really had an opportunity to kind of pick his brain about different things that he's doing at you know one of the best uh, tennis programs in the nation so i r- really tried to tap into as many resources as i can and the itpa has definitely helped me learn much more about tennis performance than i ever knew before yeah for sure really a lovely organization and uh, you mentioned some excellent names there i remember todd speaking at the conference and i've had dean hollingworth on the podcast actually episode 56 on uh, speed power and plyometrics and yeah and obviously i've had mark on as well uh, on, on the uh, podcast and uh, summit as well as Dean. So great stuff there. Appreciate that, Aaron. And so as far as working with tennis players, I know you kind of gave us a brief rundown of the type of athletes you started working with, but could you talk about when you first started working with tennis players and then also the, I guess, the continuation and up until now? Sure. Um, I actually began working with tennis players. It was about three years ago when I got more specifically into that. There was a, a local girl here to Bloomington uh, that I began training at the end of her sophomore year in high school. Um, she had already made it to state her first two years of high school, her freshman and sophomore year, and was starting to play more uh, tournaments at the national level. So when I got the opportunity to work with her, I immediately made a commitment to learning everything I possibly could learn to help her improve and specifically what she was doing and help her improve in her needs. So um, that's actually when I kind of tapped into the ITPA and used that as more of a learning resource uh, for myself. So like I said, I started training her at the end of her sophomore year in high school, uh, her junior year, she ended up winning the Illinois High School Association state title in singles. And then it was really word of mouth after that uh, that has helped increase the number of tennis, tennis athletes that I coach. They started coming in more frequently. I think I went back and actually looked. I believe I've had 30, I believe it was 30 different tennis athletes come in uh, to train uh, over the last two years. And I mean, a lot of those are still with me. Some of them have, you know, moved on to college or or to other areas. But yeah, that that's really where it started. And I do have to give credit to her. She's actually playing uh, her freshman year at University of Utah right now, doing quite well there. There's another girl that went on. She's currently at uh University of Wisconsin-Whitewater playing college tennis there. So it, it's really kind of grown from that. And uh, I, I can't thank the athletes enough for, uh, you know, re- 
remaining committed to me and my program and giving me the opportunity to help them. That's wonderful, Aaron. I mean, it's obviously sounds like you're very, and you are very committed to them. And that's what happens when you do a fantastic job with, with an athlete or with, with anything in life, then the word, word spreads. Fantastic stuff. And actually, do you remember what main things you worked on with her uh, when you first, um, you know, uh, had her on as a client and kind of analyzed like her capabilities, like a couple of things that you that you both worked on? Some of the initial things was really um, like she was uh, finishing up her her sophomore year, kind of the end of her sophomore year of high school going into the summer. And so really, I, I tried to work a little more on speed and endurance uh, with her um, and really just kind of uh, gaining strength. I remember she was at, I uh, don't remember exactly which tournament it was. It was either a tournament in Texas or Arizona, I believe, but uh, she got back from the tournament and um, really kind of emphasized like how big and how strong and how powerful some of the girls her age were, were that she was playing against. So I think right then she had more of an interest in, you know, getting stronger and trying to get to that level so that she could compete with them. She was already a great tennis player, tennis athlete. So I kind of took on the role of helping her increase her strength, increase her power and uh, kind of went from there. That's great stuff. And I'm really excited to ask you a bunch of questions about training juniors and, and things. To ask you a couple more about uh, coaching, what has been the hardest part about developing as a fitness coach for you? I think the hardest part, uh, like I mentioned just a little bit ago, sports and training and uh, technology are always training. So being a sports performance coach is a career path that's uh, always evolving. So I know even even some of the best coaches in the world are willing to admit that they don't know everything. We we don't know everything, especially where I am relative to you know the best in the world, obviously. So I, I just think it's a constant learning process. And if you aren't always studying and researching and learning from the ones that came before you, um, you're going to fall behind. So one thing that I've learned um, in this area is that nothing is cut and dry with a hardline answer. And that is how the field is different from a lot of others. So sometimes the answer uh, to a question might be, it depends. I think every athlete is different. So it's just really that process of treating each individual athlete in a different way uh, based on their specific needs. And uh, just keeping up on your education, because like I said, everything's always changing. And if you stop learning, then you're going to fall behind. I love that. Appreciate that. Great advice there. And it's, it's always helpful for the audience um, to learn about how people have overcome certain challenges. So, uh, Aaron, what's the biggest hurdle or low point that you faced as a fitness coach? And how did you overcome that? low point. I think if I could speak in general terms, I, I think in this industry and really in life, I mean, there are always going to be people that don't like you for whatever reason. And maybe they're jealous of your success or maybe they have something personal against you for whatever reason. But I think regardless of what that is, um, the point here is you have to let go of the negative and focus on the positive. And again, that's what I try to do with uh, the athletes that I coach. So if you're passionate about uh, what you're doing and believe in what you're doing, uh, those low points and some of that criticism, I mean, it's going to be minimized and your high points are going to be uh, a little more magnified. A quick example here, I haven't shared this a whole lot, but before I moved uh, to Bloomington and began training athletes in the pit, I was working at a small gym in a different town nearby. I, w I won't say which one that what is, but uh, my clients loved me. They were getting results, but the general manager had other thoughts, other plans. And uh, I remember he called me into his office and 
uh, told me I needed to reassess my career goals, that coaching wasn't for me. I didn't buy into it. Thankfully, I didn't listen to him, or um, I guess maybe I used that doubt as motivation. So I was fortunate that I had some good people around me uh, that convinced me otherwise, um, including a good friend I have to mention, uh, a good friend and mentor, Joe Yeager, who was in town at the time, uh, trained a lot of athletes there. And I would say less than uh, six months later, I mean, it was a, the uh, job change was immediate, but I'd say less than six months later, I had a new team of coaches around me in a new location and my schedule was filling up. So bottom line there, you can't let the opinion of one person keep you from your passion. Awesome. That's, that's really motivating. Appreciate that, Aaron. That goes to my favorite meme, haters going to hate, you know? I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a that's, good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not everyone's going to going to love you there, but I love that. Right. Uh, Aaron, also, um, and I know you kind of tapped into some of this, uh, the answer to this question uh, throughout the podcast so far, but what, in your opinion, are the most important skills of a personal trainer or uh, a top-level fitness coach? I really, really believe that uh, some of the most important skills that a trainer or a coach can have are communication and relationship skills. A lot of my success, as I've kind of alluded to, has come from being able to uh, communicate with my clients and athletes, you know, learning what their goals are, really getting to know them. I think that if you can build a relationship with them and let them know that you gen genuinely care about them, they will trust you uh, and trust that you have their best interest in mind. Everyone can study uh, the science side of it. Everyone can, you know, learn what the best exercises or drills are going to be uh, for their specific clients or athletes. But if you can really tap into that communication and uh, relationship building, um, I think that a lot of people are going to have a lot more success. That's great advice there, Aaron, and definitely a common theme of what I've heard from other great coaches like yourself. Kind of reversing it a bit, this question at least, what are some common mistakes that you see personal trainers make that uh, clients should perhaps look out for? Okay. One thing I try to make sure I do is have a reason for everything that I do or have my athletes do. So if I put an exercise or a drill on an athlete's sheet, I better be able to explain why they are doing it or how it's going to help them. And the answer can't be because I saw it on YouTube. I, I think, unfortunately, in the fitness industry, um, that's what a lot of people might turn to. And don't get me wrong, the internet is a great source for knowledge like that. But for me, like I have to have a reason for everything I do. So I guess for clients and athletes, make sure that your coach is intentional with everything they do. Make sure they aren't wasting your time or their time by adding exercises in your program that won't benefit you. So really kind of know the why of everything in your training program. That's awesome advice, Aaron. So as far as training juniors, so we'll get to one common concern of a lot of parents. Parents are scared about training their kids too young. So I'm curious to get your opinion on what age do you think younger players should start training their fitness? I think uh, fitness training or sports performance training might look different depending on your biological age or your training age or your overall fitness level or even your maturity level as a person. So I believe the youngest athlete that I have trained was eight years old when he came in to start training with me. Now, I will say at that point, it was more about getting him to move correctly and more efficiently, you know, making sure that he could do a, prodi a proper body weight squat and things like that. So instead of doing, uh, say, a bench press or cable pushes uh, for outside resistance, he learned how to do push-ups the right way. He learned how to do like TRX rows or um, suspension rows. I let him jump on boxes or over low hurdles and things like that. But uh, all the things they're doing at that age are movements and activities that probably, that they probably already do, you know, while they're running down the street or in a field or 
maybe picking themselves up after they fall down on the ground um, or jumping on a step or a bench in the park. Um, so I think in that sense, what I am doing or what a lot of sports performance coaches are doing, um, if they're doing it correctly, isn't really different than the movements that they do in everyday life. I'm simply teaching them the correct way to perform the movements in a safe environment and in a way that's going to prepare them uh, to be ahead of their peers when they're ready to begin more advanced training. Great stuff, Aaron. Appreciate that advice there. And so do you, is there a common age range that you could speak to as far as when you introduce weights, so like dumbbells, kettlebells, or um, barbells to junior players? I think for that, um, again, every, every athlete is going to be different. The biggest predictor for me of when the appropriate time is to introduce more weights and is really assessing their movement patterns. So uh, the kid I was just speaking of began using weights shortly after his movement patterns were corrected. So even at that, he was only using very lightweight, you know, maybe 10 pounds maximum. At the same time, I've had some 12-year-olds that are stronger and better movers than a 16-year-old. So if your movement patterns aren't correct, if they're not efficient, then I'm not going to trust you uh, with a lot of extra load uh, in your list. So I believe that side of it is relative to the specific situation. Uh, Generally, the athletes that I've worked with are ready to begin progressing to that point. Uh, By the time they're about 12 or 13 years old, many of them are carrying their own bags that can become quite heavy or even taller than the athletes themselves. I guess the most appropriate answer is that it depends. Again, I know I mentioned that before. For me, it's usually around 12 or 13 years old for me, but that also depends on how efficient uh, their movement patterns are. It makes a lot of sense, Aaron. And this doesn't necessarily just apply to juniors, but um, it's kind of came up when you were uh, speaking to the last question. If a if an adult or junior whoever uh, isn't able to do a push up, would there be any benefit to doing bench press, or would you recommend that they just do push ups and then be able to do them with proper form and then do uh, bench presses? So I have done that, and I can actually speak to. Um, I know we're talking about uh, junior tennis players and junior athletes, but um, an example of an adult personal training client that I have, um, she didn't have uh, a whole lot of upper body strength. So of course the first few sessions I was um, assessing her and uh, seeing how many push-ups she could do. Um, once I kind of got an idea of that, we stepped away from that and I did use, you know, like cable pushes or like a dumbbell bench press to help improve her upper body strength. And she was amazed when we finally went back to push-ups, like how much strength uh, she did gain. So I really do think there is something to that. Again, depending on their age, depending on their training age um, and their maturity, you have to be careful how much resistance they're using. But I do think that there is something to that. I I, I was listening to another podcast um, and I remember a, a coach speaking to uh, training a team of football players and a lot of them were impressed and kind of boasting about how much they could bench press. And he kind of fired back in a, in a playful way, I'm sure, that they really weren't strong because they couldn't do a push-up. So I think that could kind of go both ways. But I do think that there is some benefit to, um, you know, using like a bench press or a cable push to increase upper body strength and then going back to the push-ups. So I do have different uh, push-up progressions that I use. You know, I might elevate their hands up onto a bench or a box to help in that sense and kind of work their way up to a regular push so there are different ways that you can increase that strength. Gotcha. Good stuff, Aaron. And uh, I know there's uh, uh, millions of exercises out there, but what are a couple of 
in your opinion, the best training exercises for junior tennis players where you've seen, you know, you've had them do these and then they've really exhibited uh, some great uh, growth or improvement in their overall fitness from those exercises. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Well, first of all, you're you're absolutely correct. It's kind of hard to narrow it down to just a couple of exercises. Um, like I said, I think each athlete is different in their specific needs, but if time was limited and I had to choose only two, uh, two or three, I would probably go with a cable chop and a back exercise. So I think cable chops are excellent in training core strength. Um, you get a little bit of rotation in there and definitely back exercises. So Keeping it simple, um, I might go with like a, a TRX row or inverted row for their back. The reason for that is that we would work the core a little bit with rotation, like I mentioned, I guess, with the chops. Um, we could work core rotation, work power in through their hips. Uh, core strength and rotational power is so important for tennis players, and the back exercise is crucial to help maintain balance. And by balance, I don't mean standing on one leg, uh, but more of like muscle balance. So the front of the body gets so much work that staying balanced by working the back and posterior delts uh, will help keep their shoulders healthy. So I guess if I could pick a third, it would be any type of explosive lift uh, to train for power through the hips and legs. And with that, I would probably lean more towards like a dumbbell snatch or a kettlebell swing. Awesome. Those are, those are great to, to know about those exercises slash categories of exercises. I know this is obviously a audio format, but and I'll link to a video actually in the show notes page, but uh, can you kind of describe what exactly the, the cable chop uh, is, what that movement is? Sure. Uh, so when I have them doing cable chops. I'll work them in different progressions. So they might be half kneeling. We might go ISO with outside knee up off the floor, you know, kind of kneeling down on your outside knee and then pop your knee up off the floor for uh, to isolate that, or they can uh, go up to standing. So essentially what the cable chop is, is you're standing next to a cable machine. You could do this with resistance bands as well, um, you know, kind of attached to a pole, but you're starting uh, with your arms extended up uh, to one shoulder, and then you are going to pull that cable or that band down to your chest, uh, like kind of diagonally, and then you're going to pull it further down towards your opposite hip. So you're kind of chopping diagonally, and then obviously you work the eccentric uh, portion of that exercise, you know, going back up to your chest and back up to that starting position. So it's more of like a diagonal movement, uh, to train, like I said, you're going to get a little bit of rotation in through the exercise, and it's also going to train your core. Awesome. Great stuff, Aaron. And then as far as, um, once again, I'm going opposites with the, with this next question. Are there any exercises that that you've seen junior players maybe perform that has been counterproductive? So in other words, any exercises that you think junior players should avoid doing uh, either altogether or maybe until they are older? I, I think really what I focus on is building building strength in the athlete, um, regardless of where they're at in in training age. 
or with their sport, but um, I wouldn't really point to a specific exercise, but rather focus on the proper progression of the exercise. So to kind of answer your question, everything I do is part of a progression. So a younger athlete might be doing like a light kettlebell deadlift or a body weight uh, single leg hip hinge or single leg deadlift as part of a progression towards a trap bar deadlift or a barbell RDL. So again, a lot of it for me depends on body control and training age. So I don't have any of my junior high athletes, unless they've been training for a while, move up to say a barbell RDL or a trap bar deadlift. For that, I'm focusing more on their movement patterns and making sure that they're strong enough to do a simple uh, kettlebell deadlift before I'd move them up and progress them to those uh, heavier, more complex exercises. Got it. It's it's really helpful. I appreciate that. And as far as, I mean, I'm sure you obviously, you you train your clients in different aspects of fitness. Um, So I was wondering about perhaps if you could answer kind of the ratio of, of training these different skills, for example, like what's the ratio of training your speed and agility workouts versus strength training uh, and other aspects that you have your juniors train in? I think that one really depends on how many times per week the athlete comes in to train. Um, I want to make the most of their training time. Um, Again, all sessions are one hour long. So I have some that come in two days per week, some three days, and I have a group of uh, high school tennis athletes that are committed to training um, up to four days per week. So the way I structure my training sessions allows for about 10 minutes or so of speed and agility focus at the beginning of the session. After speed work and movement drills, um, we go on to a power phase, which might include some medicine ball tosses or box jumps or hurdle hops, uh, focusing on more explosive power imbalance or additional change of direction drills um, that can go into that speed category. So I would say in total, the movement speed and power phases take up about 20 to 25 minutes of a 60 minute session. So the other 35 to 40 minutes are strength training and conditioning. So that is a typical day, or I guess a two day training plan. Now, if the athlete is coming in three or four days a week, we might spend an entire session working on speed, power and conditioning. So knowing that we have at least two or three additional days to focus on uh, more on the strength portion of their program. So it really depends on how much time they're willing to commit to training. Like I said, I want to make the most out of their time. So we're trying to fit as much as we can into that one hour time slot. Gotcha. Good stuff. And then you mentioned the medicine ball, which I personally love and think it's great for developing uh, rotational power and, and uh, good technique as well, body uh, weight transfer. But uh, is there a, like a, a range, like let's say uh, of the weight for the medicine ball? Also, say if a junior player wanted to buy one or anybody, um, well, I guess let's focus on juniors. Like what kind of weight you would you would buy uh, the medicine ball? Like how much it would weigh? Sure. The majority of the medicine balls that we have in here are 10 pounds. We do have, I believe, an eight pound medicine ball and a six pound medicine ball. Um, I think there's actually a, a 20 pound medicine ball down there that doesn't get, doesn't get used a whole lot every now and then. We'll have an athlete that you know, gets gets pretty ambitious and wants to pick up the 20 pound, but I really encourage them to go light uh, with the medicine ball. And the reason for that is when I'm doing medicine ball work with the athletes, my focus is generating as much power as we can. So I want them to get the movement correct and generate as much power as they can, um, usually through the hips or the upper body or in their legs, depending on which, which type of medicine ball throw it is. So in that sense, I encourage them all to use 10 pounds or less for that. I do have some, you know, smaller uh, junior tennis players, you know, around 11, 12, 13 years old, and they haven't quite hit that growth spurt yet. So I 
really just uh, encourage them to use the six pound medicine ball or go as light as you can on those. That's really helpful. I appreciate that. And I know you did just mentioned a couple of questions ago, some exercises, but I just want to get a sense of maybe uh, like a brief speed and agility routine that you'd have uh, one of your junior uh, athletes go through. Okay, sure. So um, a few things that we work on specifically uh, that I like to work on with tennis athletes in terms of speed and agility are hip shifts, uh, getting them to be able to reposition their body, whether that is prepping for their shot or changing direction. And they can learn to become quicker and more powerful through their hips and distinguish their power leg, you know, if they are getting ready to move in a different direction. They'll become quicker on their first step, uh, whether that is moving laterally or linearly. So another aspect that I like to work on is their crossover or directional step. The reason for that is to teach them to become more powerful on their first step. Once they improve their quickness on their first step, again, they'll be able to get to the ball quicker and get a better swing on the ball. The third component that I like to work work on is uh, simply reaction and linear speed. So with that, uh, we might do a shoulder chase drill where working strictly on linear acceleration. Uh, with that, I'll get them down in their um, starting stance and I'll place a cone, usually about four, three or four feet, depending on their size, out in front of them. And their goal is to be so powerful, so quick off that first step that they can get their shoulders to that cone in one step. Again, training that first step quickness. We might do ball drops where uh, we'll get like a, a tennis ball or a, a racquetball and uh, work on reaction in that sense so that I can get them to react to a ball rather than anticipating a ball or a movement. Awesome. Yeah, I love that last drill too. My my friend Victor and I have done that uh, multiple times during training. And also, I appreciate that excellent example, by the way. What, what's an example of a strength training routine that you'd have your athletes go through? A typical routine for my athletes is uh, when they come in, the first thing they do is they grab a foam roller. They get rolled out and they start that process of kind of getting their muscles warm and loose. After they roll out, uh, we have rowers um, in our facility. So I'll have them go get on a rower and row about 300 meters. Again, the reason for that is to begin uh, getting some blood flowing to their muscles to start their warm up. After that, uh, we'll get into a little more stretching and mobility. Uh, that'll include like working on ankle mobility, you know, wall slides against the wall to work on shoulder health, uh, T-spine rotations, um, open books again to work on that thoracic mobility. If they have extreme cases where they might be rehabbing from an injury or just feel overstressed, we'll go through their specific stre uh, stretches and mobility exercises. But then after that is when they'll grab their mini band and begin loosening their hips and legs with a mini band circuit that I have have them do with hip rotations and walks. And of course, we talked about that after they do their mini band circuit, they like to go over and shoot and try to get me to do, do some push-ups afterwards. After their mini band circuit, we'll go into more of a dynamic warm-up. Uh, that might include, uh, you know, like multi-planar multi lunges. I'll have them do like rotational lunges, lateral walking lunges, forward and reverse walking lunges. I'll have them do uh, side ankle walks, which I kind of brought back in uh, to the, my programming uh, to the credit of uh, Dr. Kovacs and his suggestion there. So we'll go through inchworms to work on flexibility. We'll have a quad stretch, a straight leg walk. Those are some of the uh, types of things that we'll do during their dynamic warm-up. And from there, we'll progress um, gradually into more movement drills like butt kickers or skips, um, both linear, linearly and laterally. So they'll do like a high knee skip. They'll do a skips. They'll do lateral skips. Karaoke, again, working on their hips, uh, lateral shuffles. And by the time we get to that point, uh, we're ready to progress 
into more of the uh, speed work that I that I mentioned. So I would say after speed and agility, we'll go into our power phase. Uh, like I kind of mentioned, you know, with the medicine balls and uh, lower body plyos, uh, things like that. You know, we'll do anything from like box jumps to bounds, um, hurdle hops. We'll work in a little bit more core with anti-rotation. Uh, we might do more shoulder mobility work or, you know, like band flies to warm up their shoulders. If they need any extra speed or a change of direction work that relates to quickness and power, that's where we'll work on that. From there, we'll go more into our strength phase. And I know this is uh, kind of what you're leaning to more in this question. Um, I think a lot of them get more excited about this. A lot of them come in and they're ready to lift weights so or focus on their strength training. So regardless of their training age, I program movement patterns as progression. So depending on the day, uh, they will have some type of squat. They will have a lunge, uh, whether that's forward, reverse, or lateral. They'll have a pushing movement, which might be anything from push-ups to dumbbell bench press to uh, cable press. They'll have a hinge movement, which is usually some variation of a deadlift or a single leg deadlift. Or depending on the day, we'll, in their phase of training, we'll do more explosive hip-dominant movements to focus on power, like a kettlebell swing or a dumbbell snatch. They'll also have a pulling exercise, like I mentioned, to uh, pull to work your back. I try to double up on back exercises when possible, like I mentioned, to balance out all the work their, the front of their body gets from the repetition of playing. And that might be, again, like a TRX row or a cable pull or a dumbbell row, anything like that. So in addition to the basic movements, um, I gen generally add in some type of carry to work on their shoulder uh, stability and grip strength, like a farmer's carry or a suitcase carry, or again, a bottoms up carry. And again, I love rotational core exercises like cable lifts and chops like we like we talked about. So there are a number of different modalities that I can use uh, in that sense. At the very end of their training sessions, we spend time working on conditioning, whether that's say like the MK drill, which is the uh, pyramid sprint drill that I like working on. We might work on more lateral movement for speed um, when they're kind of in that fatigue state, uh, or we'll work on reaction, say more like ball drops or change of direction on command. So that that's usually a, a pretty, in general terms, a pretty typical day when my athletes come in. Love it. That was awesome. I really appreciate that that type of detail there. That was, that was great. And as, as you mentioned the squats. I'm just curious what kind of uh, squat variations you have your athletes perform. Different squat variations that I'll have them do. Um, again, we'll start with a basic bilateral squat. Um, again, if they're very new to training, uh, we'll do a basic body weight squat, so no external load, you know, making sure that they're keeping their heels on the floor, making sure that their squat pattern is great. Um, after that, I might go to just a regular dumbbell or kettlebell goblet squat, you know, where they're just holding the weight up high against their chest, uh, you know, closer to their shoulders, just the one weight kind of centered in the middle, middle of their body. But again, they're front loaded. So at the same time, they're working on that core strength uh, while they're squatting. I might have them do split squats. Um, where some people think it looks a little more like a lunge, but uh, where you're in that split stance, just letting your back knee drop down, forcing your front leg to do all the work to push you back up. Um, we might progress. If those are good, then we'll go to a uh, rear foot elevated split squat, which you, I'm sure you've seen before, where we'll uh, elevate their back foot and have them do split squats that way, a little more stress on the quad. I'll also have them do single leg squats, whether that is squatting down to a box or a bench on one leg, or for some of the more advanced ones, you know, they're, they're getting pretty strong into their legs. I'll have them actually stand on a bench or a box and lower themselves down, um, which is a lot closer to, um, you know, a, a standard pistol squat. I don't use a whole lot of barbell squatting, 
in my programming. I think there are other, other ways that you can get that benefit. Uh, for some, depending on the training phase, again, that we are in for maybe the more advanced high school athletes. And if I have some uh, college athletes coming back to train, we will do barbell squats because especially because I know that their college programming is trying to get to that point. So with that, I actually prefer a safety bar uh, for their squatting kind of takes their uh, shoulders and their wrists out of the equation so that they can focus more on adding more load to their squat. Very cool. Very cool. Appreciate that. And you did mention tech in the more in the beginning of the podcast. And I was just curious if there's any sort of either like tech or equipment or anything that is either your favorite or or maybe like something that you're looking, uh, considering um, implementing into uh, your training of athletes? One thing that I would like to do more of, uh, to be honest, and I, we, we haven't done a whole lot of it more for the sake of having the equipment available or having the athletes uh, purchase the equipment is focusing a little more on heart rate and heart rate recovery. Um, we do have a system in our facility. It's the MyZone uh, training system where I don't know if you're familiar with that. I know uh, Polar has a similar system where they will actually wear a heart rate strap around their chest and then their heart rate will project onto a monitor that we have in the facility, kind of keeping track of the percentage of their max heart rate, you know, exactly how many beats per minute they have during an exercise. So one thing that I would love to get into more, especially training this type of athlete, is heart rate recovery. So say I could have them do a speed drill or have them do sprints and then actually watch their heart rate come back down to full recovery, and then I'll have them, you know, go perform the drill again. Um, we did a lot of that at Parkland College, like I mentioned, uh, especially with the men's basketball team, where we had all the uh, all the athletes hooked up to uh, that particular system so that we could train for heart rate recovery. So um, I guess in that sense, with the basketball team, we almost trained their heart, trained their recovery so that they were at full recovery, uh, say, while another player was shooting a free throw or during a timeout. So as soon as that rest period was over, they were ready to go full speed again uh, in a similar sense in tennis. I want them to be able to recover, you know, between points or during a changeover so that they're ready to go full steam once they get back to action. Great. So I mean, this is a perfect segue to recovery, which I wanted to ask you a bit about as well. But I guess maybe even more on the just recovery after exercise or competition. So what kind of advice are you giving your athletes on how they can optimize their recovery, let's say, after um, your, your training sessions? One of the biggest things from my point of view or from the, the side of training that I'm working on with them is just to stay fueled, just to make sure that they're getting enough nutrients, getting enough food to recover. Um, a lot of them are so active. You know, they're, they're coming in to train with me, um, you know, two, sometimes up to four days per week. You know, they're going to their skill coach and practicing tennis um, out on the courts, you know, five to six days a week. You know, they have the stress of school. Some of them have part-time jobs. And I, I think one of the biggest hurdles uh, in that respect is a lot of them probably aren't getting enough rest at night. Um, they're not letting their bodies fully recover and they're not, I guess, pr probably not eating enough. Um, you know, I remember when I was in high school, my diet wasn't exactly the greatest, but I, I think that's some of the biggest things, just staying hydrated, making sure that you're getting enough rest at night or even on your downtime, just kind of relaxing your body, making sure that you're you're stretched out, making sure that you roll every time you come in. Even if you have a foam roller at home, you know, kind of taking that stress off your body if you have just a couple of minutes just to get a little extra recovery in. 
Awesome stuff. And as far as stretching, I mean, are there a couple stretches that you can tell us about, uh, tell our audience about that you think are particularly effective? I think uh, from the athletes that I work with, uh, flexibility is a big thing. Um, I try to encourage them to, you know, keep their hamstrings stretched. We might do um, with a, a few athletes in particular, we will do uh, leg lowers where I'll have them lay on their back and use a resistance band on one leg to try to keep their legs straight up in the air while they're raising and lowering their opposite leg. Um, I think that's a really good hamstring stretch. And then just some of the others uh, that I mentioned during our dynamic warm-up. One that I guess I didn't mention specifically in that flexibility aspect is um, I'll have them do like a straight leg lunge. So we'll go through our regular lunge progressions, um, but then I'll have them do a straight leg lunge where they will lunge out with their front leg and try to keep their back leg straight. I think you get a, a deeper stretch there. Um, I love the, uh, we call it the Spider-Man stretch where they're in that push-up position and uh, try to reach one leg up as far as they can closest to their hand while they're keeping their back leg straight, you know, kind of dip your hips down, get a, get a really good stretch in through there. So I would say those are, those are a couple of my favorites there, but really anything that's going to assist you in gaining more flexibility. Great stuff. And it's probably uh, somewhat related at least, but what are some basic concepts that we need to keep in mind regarding injury prevention? Um, I think that's kind of related. Um, I say get plenty of rest. I know we're, we're speaking of injury prevention, but if you're not fully rested, your body is not going to be prepared for competition or for training. So I think sleeping at night and drinking plenty of water are kind of undervalued. Uh, like I said, these athletes are so busy and so active that I think the majority of the injuries I encounter are from overuse. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, competing and they're practicing so much that, and that's since my focus kind of stays on keeping them strong and able to compete and not overstressing the muscles that they use a lot. Uh, for example, if an athlete is coming off of a big tournament over the weekend uh, where they played four or five intense matches, um, we probably aren't going to do a whole lot of pushing exercises because I know that their shoulders are already stressed uh, from their competition. So if they come in, I mean, we might not be doing push-ups or cable pushes or uh, their dumbbell bench press uh, just because I want them to have more time to recover. Kind of great stuff. And when we were talking about stretching, actually, uh, I, I kind of remembered, um, you know, yesterday I actually tried Soul Cycle for the first time just to you know, try something new uh, with my girlfriend. And I, I thought it was incredible that, you know, at the end of the session, uh, we'd have like a five minute uh, stretch period. And then there were several people who actually walked out like when that started, which <laughs> which was I just couldn't believe that they didn't want to invest the five minutes to not feel terrible the next day. But um, but yeah, I, I appreciate all your advice on, uh, on recovery here. Um, and, and, and also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, that, that actually reminds me of a, uh, a quote I used, I think, actually on our, our pit social media pages the other day. And it was actually mentioned on one of your podcasts with Alistair McCall. Mm -hmm. He kind of mentioned, you know, those who don't take time for stretching now are going to have to make time for the physio table later on. So I definitely think that there's value in that and maybe something that we need to get our younger athletes more in tune with and to, to realize that they need to take care of their bodies now or they're going to be in uh, much worse shape later on as they age. For sure. And I actually... 
I think it might have been Dean Hollingworth, but I'm I'm not 100% sure. But he mentioned that because he knows uh, people uh, don't want to take the time to stretch. He just has to perform, I think, four or five exercises, it might have been, um, uh, stretches, I mean, just to ha- so that they at least get in the habit of doing it. And so they, 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 they do the stretches instead of thinking like, oh, I don't have 10 minutes to spare or something like that. Um, so that's, that's an interesting approach to, to doing that, to making sure that the athletes at least uh, stretch and perform this, the, the main ones that will help. Um, yeah. And also, uh, Aaron, I, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile as I creep around and prepare for these interviews that, <laughs> that, uh, that, you're, that you were actually affiliated in, with the Vitamin Shop for several years. Um, so I was, as a consultant, I think, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But So do you have any favorite supplements or foods that are really effective in aiding with recovery or that, that provide a boost of energy either way? One. I, I I did actually. I worked uh, part time at the vitamin shop for how many years? I think it was at least three years that I worked for the vitamin shop, and that was kind of like that most a lot of trainers can probably relate when you're um, you know trying to fill up your training schedule. You're looking for another way to supplement your income, so um, I did that, and I thought it would be a fun fun place to work and also to you know get a little more knowledge in that area as far as supplements or food um, I really try to keep it basic especially with the athletes I just encourage you know eating natural foods and that that's that's really going to be the best source of energy you know any type of protein that you need for recovery so I really try to lean in that direction um I do have an athlete that he is very lean. Um, he's trying to put on weight and um, he's looking for more sources. So in that sense, I did recommend maybe a protein supplement like a protein powder. You know, he, he mentioned and both of his parents mentioned to me that he eats constantly. He eats everything that he can and he's still trying to get in more calories. So in that sense, I would use supplements for what they are to supplement your your current diet or nutrition plan that you already have. So if you're looking for extra, you know, sources or, you know, extra protein or anything like that, that might be a good way, good place to look, you know, if you want to get a, uh, you know, an extra protein shake, you know, right after your workout to help with recovery, if you know, you're not going to be able to eat right away. Got it. That's really helpful. And random side question of you, in your experience working for Vitamin Shop, did you ever have any weightlifters or, or, or other athletes who, who you sense had some roid rage and demanded, I need protein or something <laughs> like that? Any crazy clients? <laughs> I had, um, I obviously won't, won't use any names or Damn. worked in a uh, couple of different cities for the Vitamin Shop, but um, there was one uh, collegiate athlete where, again, I'm not, not going to get anyone in trouble. He's probably out of college by now but he came into the store and didn't want to buy a certain pre-workout supplement because it was on in the uh, NCAA band list and um, so he didn't want to get in trouble for that but by the time he left the store he ended up walking out with a testosterone booster and kind of scratched my head there thinking that 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 was kind of counterproductive to his whole point of passing a drug test but um no, I haven't uh, had too many issues with any any clients or anyone having roid rage or anything like that. So good, good, good. <laughs> no, well, no experience there. Good, I'm glad. Well, I appreciate you not naming me um, during that story. That was great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't me. Wasn't me. I'm just kidding. Um, but right. <laughs> uh, good, good stuff, Aaron. Appreciate that. So, as far as you know, you and your career. I mean, what's next for Aaron Patterson in 2019? In 2019, like I mentioned before, I want to uh, kind of finalize this 
CSCS exam and certification kind of kind of get that out of the way. So that's on the top of the list. Again, I just want to keep learning uh, from as many people as I can. Um, I'm hoping to be able to attend the uh, World Tennis Fitness Conference again. Again, a great conference. Um, great job uh, by the ITPA and uh, uh, Dr. Kovacs and everyone involved with that and putting that, that event on. Um, definitely learned a lot from that uh, this past summer. Uh, I'm sure there are some other conferences that I'll want to attend, but as as far as the career directly and here in the pit, um, I just want to keep uh, building this tennis program, helping out as many tennis athletes in the area as I can. Um, I, I feel like this is an area that is continually growing. Um, there's more and more interest in, in tennis. Uh, we see a lot more uh, younger tennis players getting started. And I think a lot of that is because of the success of the older tennis players coming from the area. So, of course, that's always going to help get the younger ones interested and involved. So, um, yeah, just doing everything possible to help out as many athletes as I can in 2019. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Aaron. So where can the audience follow you, uh, whether live or online or in social media? Okay. Um, you mentioned my Instagram account before. That's where I would say I do uh, the most of my social media work there. Um, if you want to follow on Instagram, that is AP Sports Performance. So you can uh, probably just search for me there on Instagram. I do have a uh, work-related Facebook page. Again, that's AP Sports Performance. Um, a lot of that on Facebook tends to be, you know, kind of sharing from Instagram onto the Facebook page. So I would say the, the best place or the most um, current or the most activity would probably be on that AP Sports Performance Instagram page. Great, Aaron. And we'll definitely link to your profiles on the show notes page. Awesome. Thank you. So, oh, anytime. Yeah. This has been a great session, Aaron. Really enjoyed learning more about how we can better train junior athletes and, and also all athletes, really. So uh, to, to close, I just have one more question for you, which is uh, the one I always tend to ask, which you've probably heard before. But uh, what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? I think from uh, from my view, from my angle, again, on the uh, sports performance, the strength and conditioning side, uh, I just encourage all athletes to get into a sports performance program to gain strength and learn about how to exercise the proper way, whether that is doing it on your own again or finding sports performance program uh, like we run in the pit. Make sure it is a program that is going to focus on injury reduction uh, because if you're hurt, you obviously can't compete on the court. So Staying healthy uh, is the best way to become better at your sport, become uh, or to improve your tennis game, I guess. And in my opinion, the best way to do that is to get stronger, get more powerful, uh, get quicker on the court so that you can keep up with the rest of the competition. Awesome stuff, Aaron. Well, once again, I really appreciate you coming on to the Tennis Files podcast and making the time to do that today and also for all your work and helping all these excellent athletes uh, not only improve themselves in their uh, respective sports, but also their lives and also, you know, giving them fun time while doing so. So thanks so much, uh, Aaron, and uh, looking forward to hopefully seeing you at the next World Tennis Fitness Conference, uh, if not somewhere sooner. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me on again. And I'm more than happy to help you out. So hope to see you this next summer or like you said uh, before then. Awesome. Thanks so much, Aaron. 
All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Aaron Patterson. Uh, Aaron, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on to the Tennis Files podcast. I really enjoyed firstly meeting you and then chatting with you today. And I really think that you gave us a lot of great things to think about and to implement with our junior athletes so that they can improve their games and so that we can improve ours as well. I'd also really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that by hitting the subscribe button in iTunes or in your Facebook favorite podcast app that you use to listen to the podcast. And if you haven't already, I sent out a survey for those of you who are uh, my subscribers, a survey about uh, the Tennis Summit 2019 that'll be coming up this year. I just wanted to get an idea of what kinds of topics you'd like me to cover on this summit. This will be the third year that I will be hosting it, and it's been a great success with thousands of people attending from around the globe. It's an online event, um, so it's super easily accessible, obviously, from your computer or smartphone or other devices. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a fantastic event that I'd love you to help me improve and cover the topics that you want to cover so that we can all improve as best we can. And as I often do before the end of the show, I like to leave you with a quote. And this one is by Anonymous, who is not a person, but we just don't know who said this. And the quote here is a great one. It's, respect your body. It's the only one you get. And so given the episode that we just did about strength and conditioning for junior athletes, I think this is a very pertinent quote. As always, thank you so much for listening and supporting the Tennis Files podcast. You can check out TennisFiles.com for more information and TennisFiles.com slash podcast or TennisFiles.com slash iTunes to check out all the other podcasts that we have out there. And thanks again for your support. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.